Hey y'all, welcome back to a Friday, July 22nd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast presented by Blue Wire Pods. Go check out all the other great programs all across the Blue Wire Pod Network. We got Long Shot with uh, Miami Heat guard Duncan Robinson. We got Greenlight with Chris Long, uh, Spinsters with Haley O'Shaughnessy and Jordan Liggins. All kinds of great shows all across our network. So go check those out today if you have not already done so. Uh, jam-packed show for you guys today a two-parter here on a friday to get your weekend started right uh we got to kick things off here yeah jackson gatlin to talk all things nba uh it was a lot of fun getting to connect with jackson and talk about um anthony davis we talked about uh, keegan murray we talked about uh we talked about the lakers where they're going uh, if buddy healed and that can still happen in a deal with the pacers harden's new contract with the Sixers, the Pistons versus Magic, who gets back in the playoffs first, and then checking in on the team that he is most familiar with and covers for Lockdown Rockets, um, the Houston Rockets. So where they're at, the Jabari Smith pick, and uh, where they're at in the rebuild and all that good stuff. So all things NBA with Jackson was a lot of fun uh, getting to chop it up with him here on a Friday. So thank you to Jackson for coming on this edition of the program. Thank you guys will enjoy our conversation. Don't forget folks, you can uh, watch this program as well on YouTube. Go ahead and uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason was podcast, interact with the show there, like, and subscribe as we continue growing out the, uh, the YouTube page. You can also tweet at me at chase double underscore Thomas, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. As always, you can email the program, get in touch with me, mailbag opportunities, questions for me, anything of the matter, um, anything you like, uh, chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. All right. Two-parter coming up in just one second. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Most Podcast, taping this on a Thursday afternoon. Old friend Jackson Gatlin is here. Jackson, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am doing great, Chase. I'm so excited to be back on the program. It's been a minute. The last time we did this, you weren't on video. Like, this is this is a cool new experience, and it's crazy to think that, you know, your podcast, my show that I do, like, you know, that's just, that's the world we live in now is podcasts are on video. We were just talking about that before we hit the record button, so... Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a little bit. And I mean, since I think I pivoted, <laughs> pivoted, what a great word. Uh, I pivoted to video in January and it's been good. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the results and building out the YouTube page and all that kind of stuff where folks can go to youtube.com slash Jason's podcast and subscribe. Also, Locked On NBA. Uh, go check that out on uh, YouTube and Locked On Rockets and all that good stuff. So I think uh, it's it's fun, man. I thought it would be more of a difficult transition than it has where I overthought it where I don't know if you were like this at all, but this idea of just staring in and wondering how your face looks and how you your mannerisms are, because so much of the reason I love just doing it over the phone um, and doing it on Skype and not doing video was that like I never had to worry about that kind of stuff. So I can like stare down, write stuff down in my notes and like just completely be in my own world. And then on video, you're like, when was the last time I made eye contact with Jackson? When was the last time I did, I smiled or I did whatever. And, um, I don't know. You just get used to it. It's just like anything else. You do reps and then you're like, all right, this isn't so bad. I can, now I can't imagine life uh, before it. 
I, I'll be completely honest with you, Chase. First off, I do miss doing podcasts like just in my boxers. Like that was really fun. Just, you know, you know roll yeah. out of bed in the morning. Like, oh, I got to get a podcast out today. All right. 530 in the morning. I look terrible. Like whatever boxers, you know, all that matters is my voice. Right. And the content. So that was mm. fun. But yeah, the transition to YouTube is so weird at first because you're so I at least for me, I was so hyper paranoid, right, about like the perception of the camera. And I remember that very first episode I ever did. I was like, I think I was stare. I probably look like a madman. If you go back and like, just scroll down the, the Locked on Rockets YouTube, tra- YouTube channel and go to the very first episode ever published. I probably look like I'm insane, just kind of like staring so like intently at the camera at all times. I even remember I like memorized my ad copy like for that episode specifically because I was like, I won't I won't break eye contact at all ever. And then I realized over time, you're just like, no, it's natural. You look, you know, you make eye contact with the camera when you want to hammer home a point. You 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 look at other things. You got monitors, notes like it's normal, but mm-hmm. it is a gigantic curveball when you're first doing it. Yeah, for sure. But. Like we said, we get there, we're good. I will say, like, um, it does kind of stink that my office was, like, built around not doing video. So, like, all of my cool, like, sports stuff and books and everything else is just right here, which is off camera. And it would require a lot of work and a lot of reorganization. So, I did the whole, all right, here's my couple things that I can put right here. Now, you are going to make me look bad, Jackson, because the camera setup and what you've got behind you was built for podcasting in youtube like it is a 10 out of 10 uh camera setup for you behind you you got maxwell you got elijah one framed you got all kinds of stuff like it all it all works and i feel like you're wearing all black just to like match the aesthetic of your <laughs> your office the all black was a happy coincidence you know mm-hmm. shout out bob ross right happy little accident um but no i i mean i I lucked into the fact that I was able to finally, you know, get uh, an apartment with a second bedroom, like a dedicated office space uh, back Mm -hmm. in February of this year. And having previously done the on camera stuff in the middle of a one bedroom apartment where you could see my kitchen a little bit off on the right. You could see my living room a little bit off on the left. I was like, all right, how can I capitalize on finally having a legitimate office space? So, yes, this backdrop was fully designed with the YouTube, the audience in effect, all of that. And I, I finally was able to piece it together. I've still got more to do because I've got mm-hmm. some empty cubbies. Like I want to move some stuff around, but I am, uh, I'm very pleased with all of it. And I will for, you know, Easter egg for your YouTube audience. I will slide out of the way just so they can see the Iron Man, James Harden that is behind mm. me. That looks good. I like it. So no hard feelings with James. Yeah, no hard, fe- no hard feelings here in Houston. You know, I think there may be some Rockets fans who are a little sour on the way that he, you know, made his way out. But now that he's no longer playing for the Brooklyn Nets, you can root on the demise of Brooklyn without actively rooting against the second greatest player in franchise history. So it all worked out. Second greatest. I like it. Um, well, uh, Jackson, we have some NBA stuff that I want to pick your brain on. And I want to start here with Summer League because... Um, I watched zero minutes of Summer League, Jackson. I can't do it. I'm not that level of sicko uh, when it comes to basketball. And just, uh, I'm just not an exhibition guy. So, like, I, I skip the All-Star games. I skip Summer League. I skip preseason in the NFL. Um, I can't do it. Like, I've tried taking notes. I've tried paying attention. But then you look at the Hawks and who they're rolling out, and it's like, this doesn't matter. None of this. None of this matters. I can't get sucked in. But then I'll, I'll just I'll read the smart people and then I'll see what they're saying about certain guys. And then uh, I'll reconvene in a couple months and see where everybody's at. But I will say J. Cal Mann had a really good piece in the ringer kind of doing his uh, I don't know. It wasn't like a running diary, but it was just kind of his recap of his time in Vegas uh, for summer league. And he had this quote that I want to ask you about because he said, quote, the Johnny Davis experience uh, is off to a dot 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 
let's call it an uninspiring start. In three games, Davis shot 27.6% from the field and played at that with 1.7 assists and 2.7 turnovers. Um, he is someone that's super interesting to me because I think as someone who watched a lot of college basketball, he was just such a fun player this past year. And it was kind of like, if you didn't watch college basketball and you just watched summer league and you watched Jaden Ivey and you watched Johnny Davis, you're like, Oh, this is weird. Were they really like both just neck and neck for best big 10 player uh, this past year in college? And it was like the way Johnny Davis scored in college and the way uh, Jaden Ivey is going to score in the league. It's like, Oh, Jaden Ivey is just going to have an easier time. It looks like being a really good NBA player right away. And Johnny Davis, it might take some time or just might not be there because he just might not have that elite skill and what the way he was able to score might not translate to the NBA, which is a problem when you just locked up Bradley Beal and there's no John Wall in the building and you really need this lottery pick and Johnny Davis to be the backcourt mate for Bradley Beal going forward. Like you need him to develop into someone Beal can trust and some of the league returns were shaky at best. I don't know. Are, what did you see from Johnny Davis and what do you think about that pick? So I only got to see him play in person once during summer league. I didn't catch all his games. Um, and the one that I caught was uh, the when they played the the Suns. And from what I saw from him, right, like, and it's so tough with summer league because I do think you want to take summer league with a grain of salt, right? Like, mm-hmm. it is an exhibition environment. These guys are not, like, there's some guys that are out there, like, playing, like, you know, at 110, right, giving it their all. You know, guys who are, you know, fringe NBA guys at best who are trying to carve a spot out on a roster. And then there's guys who are going out there just as kind of like, I almost feel like this is like a showcase, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the bad teams get a chance to be like, hey, look at this like talented player that we picked up. And that's also why you see like the season ticket deals usually start getting rolled out like right around the start of summer league. Because they're like, hey, mm-hmm. like all the bad teams are like, please come give us money because we got this really exciting young player. And we're still going to lose a lot, but you should be invested in the youth and, and the future of yep. this team. So... With Johnny Davis, I do want to preface it by saying that, right? Like the numbers, not great, right? You, right. You, there's, you know, not going to sugarcoat it there. But we did get some flashes from him, right? Like there were times where he looked comfortable attacking off the catch. He looks comfortable when he can get to kind of those mid that mid range area when he's got the pull up game. He's got a floater. I see enough of the tools there, and I think when we look back at what he was able to do in college, I think you feel confident that he's gonna be able to get it figured out it just might not translate as quickly as some would have hoped you know i do think that when you make it to the nba unless you are just a physical freak right unless you unless you have an nba ready body like day one it, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with the size, the speed, the length of actual NBA players compared to the collegiate competition you were going against. And I think you maybe saw a little bit of that from Johnny Davis because you're you're dealing with legitimate pros now, or, or at least aspiring pros and guys who do have you know more filled out bodies, guys who are going to be tougher competition a little bit, even in an exhibition type environment. So. I'm not completely out on the idea of Johnny Davis. Um, I will say maybe Taco Bell like jumped the gun a little bit too early with, you know, bringing him on for their commercial appeal. Uh, That was a stretch to say the least as far as like, I remember the whole pre-draft process, right? And then Johnny Davis stock starts falling and I'm just like watching and I'm like, man, Taco Bell picked the wrong guy to like do the sponsorship with because this is not going to hit. This might not work out as well for Johnny Davis, but um, yeah, I, again, I don't think anybody should be down on him or out on him at this point. Underwhelming is probably the word. Give him time. Be patient with him is probably my would be my response to any of the critics of his of his game to this point. Well, I will say about the Taco Bell aspect of it. They did jump the gun multiple times this summer because they brought back the Mexican pizza and uh, my fiance, who's a big Mexican pizza fan. Um, they went out 
they were they were short charged very quickly they were they were out so they they had this big like the mexican pizza's back and then a week later they're like oh this demands too much and the mexican pizza has neither been seen nor heard since much to the chagrin it's of the my Popeye's chicken sandwich Tough. all over again just man yeah it was uh, it was a whole thing i will say like I just I hope people don't panic uh, too much when it comes to Davis and we'll see like Trey Young was he had just the summer league from hell uh, when he first came out and people like "Uh oh this is this is a problem and it's I don't know it's just such a small sample and they're not playing with NBA guys NBA vets he's not playing with Beal he's not playing with a lot of the guys he'll be playing with in the rotation in Washington so I don't know we'll see but I mean if you're a DC fan you're a little nervous at the very least but it's also just going to be a complicated interesting thing trying to thread this retooling that they're doing in dc because they're not doing a rebuild they are going to see if they can rebuild through the middle with bradley beal and with uh just an older veteran guard like johnny davis who they hope can slide right in and i mean i don't hate the whiz rotation and what it's going to look like next year they have eight or nine guys that i feel pretty good about and they feel like a play-in team uh with a little bit upside to be like a six or seven if health permits but i i'm just very fascinated because there aren't a lot of teams around the league that are building and trying to make this all work in the way that uh the wizards are with bradley beal now yeah i'm i'm tough on the idea of like or i'm i it's harder for me to buy into the idea of the wizards being able to in one offseason go from a you know effectively a bottom feeder team or a team mm. that's like you know in the lower uh the the what the bottom one third of the eastern conference to suddenly be you know vying for play in or even potentially you know locking in a, a six or seven seed even though i do agree i think they're they've got like an interesting set of talent there <laughs> you know i say interesting because i want to see how all these pieces are going to work especially if you're going to you know really try to make things work with bradley beal as your alpha because to me in in my mind bradley beal is like the perfect complimentary guy the perfect secondary guy on almost any team anywhere Mm. can you win at the highest level with Bradley Beal as your number one option and maybe that's not their goal right maybe they're just a team that's going to be content with we just want to a make it back to the playoffs first and then maybe we're just all right even if we're going to the playoffs and we're getting knocked out of the first round every year or second round maybe that's just where they want to be and they're content with that being their ceiling and not truly a championship caliber team it's really tough to rebuild on the fly in the NBA Um, I'm a firm proponent of the idea that if an organization from top to bottom is willing to buy into the notion of, hey, we're going to sell off all the assets, we're going to bottom out for a couple of years, and we're going to accrue some talent at the top of the draft, I think that is the most surefire guarantee, guaranteed way to get out of what I call NBA purgatory, right, which is that middle ground, right, where you're not a top-tier contender and you're also not at the bottom of the NBA life cycle. You're stuck in that middle ground, uh, the Sacramento Kings territory, if you will. I love Kings fans, and I love the Kings. I, I want I want the best for them this next season, but they've been stuck in that NBA purgatory for a while now. That's fair. I just don't like everybody doing the same way. I don't like everybody building the same way. I want Portland and DCs. I want like 10, of, 10 teams doing that. I want 10 teams trying to build through the middle. I like that the Pacers are just like, we're never rebuilding that's never what we're gonna do like well, I when you get gift wrapped Tyrese Halliburton I mean it makes things a little bit easier so that's true but I mean still there's a track record with Simon um in that ownership group that that is not how they're gonna do it and look Halliburton we'll see but it's also like I, I don't know the Halliburton conversation is a different one entirely uh speaking of Keegan Murray though he seems like he was the universal big winner um based on what you saw Jackson would you say that that they feel Sacramento fans should feel a lot better about taking uh, Murray over Ivy in that spot. Sacramento fans should be over the freaking moon. I mean, Keegan Murray looks 
fantastic. And this was the thing, right, is he was in my mind, he was the most NBA ready of all the top prospects, right? He's the older prospect coming in. He's supposed to be a little bit more mature, a little bit more polished. And that was actively on display through the California Classic, through Vegas Summer League. The level of poise and composure that he plays with when you compare him to these other guys who are who are quite, you know, they feel like kids out there, right? You know, mm. you got 18, 19, 20-year-olds running around out there. And you've got Keegan Murray, who's got a few years on all those guys. And all this, all this experience that he's already got... He has refined his game to where he is the player that I think he's going to be. Does he have another like level to tap into? Will he get better as an NBA player? Yes. I'm not saying he is who he is right now and he's never going to improve from where he's at right now. But if where he's at right now is the floor, you're incredibly excited about what the Kings just got. And he's going to be the type of guy that you don't have to worry about maybe a Chet Holmgren who has to kind of adjust a little bit to the NBA level. Chet Holmgren in his own right looked fantastic as well, right? But you don't have to worry about that that you know initial learning curve with a rookie where they hit the rookie wall or they deal with the physicality, right? Some of the things we were just highlighting with Johnny Davis and the struggles that he may maybe kind of face there in summer league and will probably be facing once he makes it to the actual NBA and plays against legitimate NBA teams and NBA competition come the regular season. Keegan Murray is ready for that. I, you know, I was I was, you know, 50 feet away when the, the Magic and Kings were going at it in the game that got pushed to uh, uh, OT. Mm. And the moment he and Murray recovered that ball and did no panic, just ice in his veins, gets the pump fake and sends two Magic defenders flying right by him and elevates for the for the three to tie it up. I knew before he was done, before the ball had left his hands, I was like, I turned to the person next to me. I was like, that's a bucket. It's going in. And sure enough, it landed it. And I wanted the Kings to win that game so bad. They deserved that win with how composed they were at the end of things to, to you know, really tie things up, get back into it, all that. Unfortunately, didn't shake out their way. But yes, Sacramento fans should be incredibly excited and over the moon with uh, the Keegan Murray selection. I think it was the right pick for where they're at. Um, and they would have had way too many question marks trying to drag in Jaden Ivey and then figuring out a backcourt of him and uh, De'Aaron Fox. Like, what do you do? And then you've got Davion Mitchell as well. Like, what Like, what do you do? Keegan Murray just made sense on all fronts, not only because of the fit concerns, but just I think he's just the better player. It makes more sense for what Sacramento wants to do right now. It's interesting when I the stuff that I watch and the the lines and obviously Kevin Herter uh, got sent over to Sacramento in kind of a uh, the Hawks don't want to pay a certain amount of money uh, this upcoming year and Kevin Herter is a king and I watched the Keegan stuff and I'm like he kind of reminds me of a souped up Kevin Herter where Kevin Herter any lineup you look at the Hawks were better off with him in the lineup where he doesn't have that just kind of he doesn't a habit but he also doesn't want to be that lead guy he doesn't have that switch where he's like all right this is my quarter i am taking over this is going to be me no he's just you you'll forget that he's roaming the floor for a while and he's he's better off surrounded by a lot of playmakers and high usage guys but then it's like oh he's got 15 9 and 4 and you're going into the fourth quarter and you're like that's nice keegan murray is just doing what he needs to do and kevin herter does what he needs to do and they have an impact in the game and they're just they're kind of solid where you need guys in this rotation, especially with Sabonis and Fox and Harrison Barnes and company where like they need a guy like Jaden Ivey would have clouded that thing where it's like you kind of wonder about the usage distribu- uh, distribution between um, Fox and uh, Sabonis and Jaden Ivey. You don't have to worry about usage with Keegan Murray. He's fine if he has to do high, have a higher usage one week um and then it kind of it fizzles out the other week like he's going to be i think pretty solid right away and he's totally okay 
um, being a role guy. And when if you have Harrison Barnes, the ultimate role player vet, next to him on the wing, I don't know. That's a pretty good place to be. Now, do I have defensive questions about what their best five-man lineup will look like? Absolutely. But Mike Brown's in there, good defensive coach. We'll see what this defense looks like going into next year. But I, I think, like you said, Keegan Murray is some, somebody that the Kings fans should feel pretty good about. And it's also just like, you take Jay Ivey, it's like, why did we trade uh, Tyrese Halliburton in the first place? If we're going to go back to the the two league guards who require a high usage um, situation, then why do we trade him to begin with? Like, we already had something that we knew was a good long-term player in Halliburton, and then to just start all over again with Jaden Ivey makes no sense, especially when you're paying Fox as much as you are. Murray made a lot of sense, and I think Murray and Kevin Herter are going to be really good in Sacramento next year. I think they're going to complement each other well, and I think uh, I, I like the rotation. And then we'll see what with Mitchell and where he's at in year two. I think, you know, and, I, and maybe I'm completely off base here. I think Herter's going to be their sixth man. Like, just yeah. looking at that lineup, right? Like, you bring Herter off the bench, you start Davion Mitchell. That gives you mm. a bit more of that defensive punch in that starting lineup. That's a hell of a starting five, right? You go right. De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, Keegan Murray, uh, Harrison Barnes, and Sabonis. Like, that's... Mm talent across the board and then you get that spark plug off the bench in Kevin Herter I mean the Kings could be right you're gonna have a couple teams in the West that are gonna drop out of the playoff hunt the Utah Jazz are, are bottoming out and the Spurs were a play-in team this past season so you're gonna have two open spots in the West and, and I firmly think the Kings are gonna take that that little bit of a jump that they've been trying oh so hard for for so long and they'll at least make it to the play in this next season yeah, I mean, the one spot, I mean, I don't know, like Malik Monk, we'll see where he fits in on this as well. But I mean, I think they'd still need like one more wing. I'd feel a little bit better. Like Metu is still probably gonna be someone they rely on a lot next year. But I don't know. I'm curious to see if they add somebody else or they have one more trade in them uh, this offseason. So we shall see. But they're going to fight for a play in spot and they should be pretty solid next year. Um, who I don't think is going to be solid next year is the los angeles lakers uh jackson i don't know where you're at with the lakers um it wasn't even like one of those things where i it was like it felt like a hot take for me when i on this podcast uh how many i guess this was a year ago now i said the lakers would not make the playoffs and they they obviously did not make the playoffs and i wondered in the last few months where i'm like has lebron james already played his last meaningful basketball game like that's something that you have to consider if you're a basketball fan at this point where the Lakers, there's no more depth. There's no more opportunities for them to really remake this roster around LeBron and AD. This is it. Um, Russell Westbrook is zero lat. Like you, you went all in for Russell Westbrook and you sacrificed a, bu- a bunch of depth. And one of the lessons we've learned from the last couple of years, and especially because of how much basketball has been played over the last three years due to the pandemic and um, just how quickly people had to get back and just the, the wear and tear on all these guys' bodies, the teams that didn't have depth got destroyed. And the teams that had a lot of depth made it through, and um, we saw that pay dividends. The Lakers still don't have any depth. And as excited as Darvin Ham may be about working with Russell Westbrook and trying to turn him into some sort of uh, true holiday at this point in his career, I just don't see it. And I don't see the path to them getting enough depth to actually make a deep playoff run. Like, that is now a requirement, is that you need a lot of dudes and a lot of rotation guys you can count on to supplement the Tatums and the Browns of the world where you need your Grant Williams. You need guys who can make life easier and get you through uh, the NBA playoffs. Like you need Duncan Robinson to like not need Duncan Robinson, you know, where it's like one series we'll need you, one series we won't. Um, That's an amazing spot to be in, but I think that's a requirement now to contend in today's NBA. 
and I just don't see the path for the Lakers to have that. Are you in the similar spot with the Lakers, or are you in the camp where a healthy AD makes them a contender all over again, and it's that simple? I'm pretty sure healthy AD is an oxymoron, but I could be wrong there. Um, no, uh, look, you know, it's it's so tough because I think you've got so many factors here that are converging and coalescing all at the same time. And it's LeBron is not LeBron LeBron anymore. Right. I know we mm-hmm. joke for you. We've joked for what, four decades now about, you know, oh, LeBron's entering his like, you know, 18th prime. Right. Like it, LeBron is showing those brief signs of wear and tear and slowing down. Right. He can't. Mm-hmm. He can still take over. He can still be LeBron when he wants to on a, on any given night. But then it's like, okay, but then he maybe has to take the foot off the gas for like an, another game or two, right? If he takes over a game and drops 40, 10, and 10, then maybe you get like half-ass LeBron who's not defending and like, you know, just really kind of not mentally checked out, but just not the same over the next couple games. He can't carry a team through 82 games anymore. He just, he's yep. not, he's not that LeBron anymore. And that's where I understood a little bit of the idea initially to bring in Russell Westbrook, right? You're like, all right, this guy is a like Iron Man. He's a, fl- a relative floor raiser for a team. Maybe you call him a ceiling dampener, but he's definitely a floor raiser for a team, mm-hmm. or at least he has been in his career. So at least to me, the idea on the surface was, okay, 80's going to miss some time. LeBron's going to miss some time. You have Russ out there who can just carry the brunt of the regular season to just drag that team to get them to the playoffs because all LeBron needs is to be in the playoffs. And then once he's there, if he's there and he's healthy, then it's really hard to bet against him, even if he's a, you know an underdog, lower seed, whatever. And... I don't think that like I think they're past that window now. I think one, the Russ experiment didn't work the way they thought. And I think that he was such a detriment to that team when he was on the floor that they got to points where they just couldn't overcome what he did when he was on the floor. Right. I mean, they got to the points where they were they were benching him at the end of game situationally because it just didn't work. And now it's I'm still very much in the camp of it's really hard to bet completely against a duo that is as talented as LeBron and AD, but when they have so many health issues, when you have the idea that neither one of them is probably going to be present for more than, you know, 75% of the regular season, if that, if they're lucky, and you add in the lack of depth, the question marks with the fit with Russ, are they going to be able to find a way to offload him this last season or this, you know, for this, before this next season, they've got their 2027 and 2029 picks to work with, but that's not a lot. In fact, the, you know, what the buzz around the NBA is that it's going to take just those two picks to offload Russ in the first place. And that doesn't even include, are you getting back anything of value or are you simply just getting rid of Russell Westbrook? So they're very much stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Do you enter if you're LA, do you entertain the idea of bottoming out? Do you just say, you know what? All right, what can we trade LeBron James for? What can we trade Anthony Davis for? What could we potentially get back? Um, it is the worst situation to be in for them. And again, LeBron was the one who wanted Russ, right? He was the one who had to have signed off on that decision. And as great of a basketball player as LeBron has been throughout his entire, you know, glorious career. He's also been a terrible GM at times, both with the Cavaliers, now with the Lakers, like signing off on guys, creating paydays for guys, saying, no, take care of that, right? And in a way, almost holding an organization hostage because it's LeBron James. You're going to do what he wants to do. But, you know, that was just not the smartest basketball move to try and, and it, it comes on the heels, right, of the Lakers having bounced the Rockets just a couple years prior in the Disney bubble where 
the Lakers were literally pl- like they had LeBron was playing free safety on defense because they were just actively ignoring Russell Westbrook because they didn't have to worry about him shooting the basketball. Because if, if Russ took a three, it was a win for the L.A. Lakers defense and they won a title that year. And somehow that was just erased from their memories when they decided to go and acquire Russell Westbrook. They would have been better off with all the role players they'd given up. And yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see an effective way for them to make it out of the hole that they have dug themselves into, honestly. Yeah, I don't either. But I will say the one hole that they can like, I never really loved the Malcolm Brogdon fit just because, okay, like another injury riddled guy who we all like in a vacuum with AD LeBron at this point. We like him in 2K with injuries turned off is where we like him. Right. And I mean, this is tough because it's like, yeah, we like Malcolm Brogdon. Everyone who watches NBA basketball likes Malcolm Brogdon, but you can't turn injuries off. And it's just at this point, he has to be like in the Victor Oladipo zone where if we get something great, but if not, like that has to be okay too. Like he cannot be a centerpiece to us contending and being that final guy to get us over the hump. He has to be in the Oladipo zone. Um, speaking of the Lakers, though, healed and maybe Miles Turner, like that's the last thing where you look around the league and you're like, this is it, where the Pacers have all this cap space now that they don't have any options to do anything with it, right? Like they gave Aiton the restrictive free agency offer. He signs it. He goes back. The Suns match. It's over. But they cleared that cap space for Aiton, and now it's just sitting there. And if you're... The Pacers, I mean, we just saw it with your team. John Wall did not play a basketball game this past year and made a lot of money not to play basketball last year. Um, You could do, theoretically, the same thing with Russell Westbrook, right? You could just ride this out and just take up his cap space and take on a Russell Westbrook contract for a couple picks from the Lakers and just not play him. Um, And then maybe negotiate a buyout the... Uh, in February or whatever it is and just be like, all right, see what the market is and maybe you can get on with the contender at the end here. But I think that's more plausible now. And from uh, ESPN's Dave McMiniman, he said, quote, one thing I've learned over the last day or two uh, tangentially is that there has been some talks reengaged between the Lakers and Indiana Pacers. Now that would center around a buddy heel deal. And could it be uh that would include Russell Westbrook in terms of also having Miles Turner in that deal. Or perhaps it could be a secondary move where you would be uh, talking about a Taylor Horton Tucker type of package to try to get Buddy Heald to get a Buddy Heald deal. So we would see whether that would affect Russell or not. Um, it seems unlikely you get both in this scenario. That's just like a Lakers trade, like he's going to future Laker type stuff where uh, that's a Laker right there. Um, but. Buddy Heald has always made a lot of sense. Like we saw with Contavious Caldwell-Pope, what kind of impact he had for that group um, during their title run. They don't have that kind of shooter right now on the roster. You saw how like Malik Monk was a surprise for them last year, who's a really good player for them, and he's gone. So you don't really have that guy in there. And Taylor Horton Tucker was just bad last year. He was just not a good player for this team. And if you can find a way to bring in Buddy Heald, I don't think that fixes everything. But if you're able to get off Russ's contract and bring in Heald and maybe somebody else, you know, hey, I think they're a better team. I have a little bit more faith in them than I did previously. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? And do you think it's it's likely? You know, if, if one, I, I love that Lakers fans everywhere, right? You 
blow up the trade machine and they're trading Taylor Horton Tucker for XYZ. And it's, you need to view Taylor Horton Tucker as a negative asset at this point. Like he is mm-hmm. not a plus. He's not a sweat. I, I saw Taylor Horton Tucker and, and he was described as a sweetener in a deal the other day. And I was like, that's not right. That's not, that's not how that works. That's a, mm-hmm. he's a sourer, if anything, in a deal. So I think if you look at the Pacers and what you get out of healed and what you get out of, uh, out of miles Turner, Buddy Heel's got, you know, the two years left on his deal. So he's not an expiring. Miles Turner, as just just it being an expiring contract, has intrinsic value, right? Because mm. they, they could just send him somewhere, you know, take back some dead money, whatever. So with the Lakers, the shoes that they're in, right, they've got those two first-round picks to play around with. Mm. 2027-2029. Would the Pacers be willing to entertain bringing in Russ, you know, facilitating some level of a buyout because they probably could save a little bit of money there uh, and, you know, cut Russ loose a little bit early. Maybe he wants to just sit for the whole year and he doesn't want to go play any, you know, any meaningful basketball for another team. Maybe another team that's that's actually playing meaningful basketball wouldn't want to pick up Russell Westbrook in the first place. Um, I know you asked the question early on, right? Has LeBron played his last meaningful game? I think Russ, right? Like after this deal, like, I don't know what team out there other than like a bad team who just wants to put butts in seats and say like, hey, triple doubles like off the bench, like come hang out and watch Russ, you know, fill it up and shoot like 40 percent from the floor. Um, if that and I'm coming off like a gigantic Russell Westbrook hater. I love Russell Westbrook, the person like the per- Russ is an incredible human being. And having you know had the chance to cover him here in Houston for a year, like he is one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. His basketball play style just doesn't translate to winning at the highest level, unfortunately. So. I think if you're the Pacers, maybe you entertain the idea of of Turner and Heald for a couple of those Lakers first. And maybe that's like the the Hail Mary play if you're you're L.A. where you're like, all right, we're doing like what? Four birds, one stone with like we get rid of Russ. We add Buddy Heald, who absolutely fits what we want to do. We add Miles Turner, who would be a great addition to the front court. Um, you know, maybe get back to a bit of that kind of defensive identity that helped them win a title, you know, a few years back uh, in the bubble in the first place. I don't see it as a likely outcome, though. I, I think that. You know, the Lakers kind of, uh, you know, made their bed and they're going to have to lie in it now, essentially, unless they're really willing to pay through the nose to just offload Russell Westbrook. Because I I do think the NBA understands the leverage that they have, right? They understand the pressure that Rob Palenka is under to try and salvage this situation in any capacity whatsoever. So anytime that right, anytime somebody's phone rings, it's. It's never well. All right, yeah, I'll do you this favor. It's no, like, are the two firsts on the table? If not, click like, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah, but we shall see. We shall see what ultimately happens here. I think it'd be more interesting. Like, Buddy Heald just is kind of him and Miles Turner are just kind of sitting there on a rebuilding team that just don't really serve a purpose for this year. And it would be, I think, more interesting because the Lakers are like, I would prefer to see LeBron and Anthony Davis in the playoffs, and I would prefer to see them playing meaningful basketball again next year. So. From that standpoint, yes, I I kind of hope that that's how it goes. Is Brady Heald and or Miles Turner uh, find their way over there? That'd be cool, um, but we shall see. Uh, do you like the contract for James Harden that he signed with the Sixers? I love it. I think that look, Harden has been right Houston's or was Houston's savior for right the better part of a decade, mm. and I think that because Harden doesn't have like an agency that's out there like doing like. PR damage control, whatever. Like, you know, he just, he, he keeps his head down. He plays basketball. He drops 40. He racks up dimes and then he hits up strip clubs. Like just let the man enjoy his time. Let him do what he wants to do. But the no, the notion that James Harden hasn't like had, doesn't have like a winning personality or doesn't do what it takes to win or whatever. I, I do have questions about 
his on the court, like, you know, is he like an alpha mentality, right? I have the same questions about like KD. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I think that KD lacks that like truly like alpha gene. He's an insane basketball player, insanely talented, right? But I think there's just certain players that like have that, you know, whatever, for lack of better terms, that X factor about them, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe Harden doesn't have it. Maybe KD doesn't have it situationally. Maybe he needs another, like a dog on his team to like unlock that, to be the the vocal and emotional leader of a team rather than the, just the most talented player on a team, which I think KD and Harden have both been uh, the most talented player on a team, but then they've subsequently had guys who have been the vocal leaders, be it, you know, Draymond or Steph being the vocal leader in Golden State or with Harden, the best years of his career in Houston with Chris Paul being the vocal leader. Um, They've always had, you know, at the height of their success, they've always had another guy who's been that emotional guy to lead the team. Um, But the idea that Harden doesn't want to do what it takes to win needs to be deaded immediately. Like the Hmm. fact that he gave up so much money just because he's like, dude, goes to Daryl, says, hey, Maury, you know, do whatever you need to do, figure out what we need financially, go Mm. sign the guys that we feel like we need to win at the highest level. I'll take the pay cut. You guys take care of me next year. It's all good. You know, wink, wink, handshake deal under the table, takes a gigantic pay cut this season, player option next year. He's very clearly going to opt out of that, you know, of that second year and then re-up next season after all these pieces, all these moves have been made. And you give yourself a chance. If you're the Sixers, you give yourself a chance with a really talented roster centered on obviously MVP candidate Joel Embiid, James Harden taking a pay cut. You're basically constructing, you know, what is the uh, the Philadelphia Rockets because Daryl Morey went out there and grabbed, you know, PJ Tucker. He grabbed Trevlin Queen. There's rumors that the 76ers may be, uh, you know, interested in, you know, pursuing Eric Gordon. That's been uh, a team that's consistently come up in Eric Gordon trade rumors for a while now. So maybe he does, you know, find the last piece of the puzzle, if you will, and acquire EG to, to throw into the mix to, to have that run it back team. And if you're hard and right, like he's got something to prove this next season because he's had the last two seasons, the flame, the fallout with Brooklyn this past year where he still basically almost averaged a triple double, but he wasn't himself physically. And if Harden can come back and be even like 80% of the, you know, the player that he was during his MVP stints in Houston, that paired with Embiid paired with the supporting cast that they have. I don't see how you don't look at that as a favorite to come out of the Eastern conference. So I love the contract from James Harden. I love the sacrifice because players talk about making sacrifices all the time. They talk about wanting to win, you know, at the highest level, doing whatever it takes. This is whatever it takes, taking that significant of a pay cut to be able to mold a better roster around you. There should never be another column, blog post, podcast, whatever about James Harden's lack of desire to win. The man wants to win at the highest level. What does a trade for Eric Gordon look like at this point? I think it's kind of tough because unfortunately the Sixers don't have uh, a ton of like movable mid-tier salary is the issue. And that's where EG kind of comfortably finds himself is that upper end of the spectrum is like a mid-tier salary. He'd see, I think he's either floating at just under 20 million or just over 20 million going into this next year of his contract. Um, and when you look at what the Sixers have on payroll, they've got Joel Embiid at 33 million. And then they'll have Harden somewhere in that 30-ish million range as well. And then right below that, they've got P.J. Tucker down at 10.5 million. So it's like they don't have a one-for-one deal that makes like a ton of sense on the surface. Maybe you do something like, you know, you package a few guys together like a cork Maz and maybe some of the, the smaller salaries elsewhere on the team, maybe Niang or something. I don't know how many individual smaller pieces the Sixers would be willing to give up to get a guy like Eric Gordon, but a guy like Eric Gordon is exactly what they need to 
really push that team over the top because he's a guy that can single-handedly swing you a game in the playoff series or really even swing a series in your favor because he plays at the highest level at like a borderline all-star type player with the three-point shooting, the elite defense, all of that. He is one of the best you know, ancillary pieces you can have on a championship contender, which is why those Houston Rockets teams work so well in Houston. Everybody wants to point to the success of James Harden and Chris Paul, but Eric Gordon was the third banana in that trio, and he was really what made things tick in the fact that he was the backcourt running mate for those two guys. When Chris was running the show with EG or Harden was running the show with EG, he complimented both of them beautifully because his game fits in seamlessly wherever he goes. I like it. I like it. Um... When it comes to uh, who breaks out of the slog first, I think this is fascinating because I think it eventually happens for one of these two teams, Detroit or Orlando, who have just had a lot of uh, unlucky bounces in the lottery. And they're two teams that I think with Weaver and with Hammond and Weltman, I think both fan bases are excited about the direction. I think both of them have an identity. They both have coaches, uh, NBA Twitter, and we all like, and Jamal Mosley and Dwayne Casey. Um, but neither broken three yet neither are back in the playoffs yet um jade ivy now in detroit uh kate cunningham going number one overall last year and then you look over at orlando with paolo bancaro and you're like okay france ben bancaro you look at uh, jalen suggs it seems like one of these two will flip the script and they will surprise somebody like some one of the two is going to have the memphis just light bulb goes off where they surprise folks and someone it is going to break out whether that's Bancara, whether that's Jay Nivey, whether that's Kate Cunningham. Someone's going to be good enough where okay, we have to reevaluate where this team's going in the short term because this player has made the leap and now that changes everything and how we feel about this entire team and where they're going. For you though, who do you think it's more likely? Is it someone on the Pistons or is it someone on the Magic that makes you think that they're the next team they, they will get in the playoffs before the other? I think I got to go Pistons here. Hmm. Um I am I am huge on what the Pistons accomplished in the draft, walking with Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. That was like I wanted to walk away and be like, yeah, the Rockets crushed it. They had the best draft again like two years in a row. And I couldn't. I, I, I really couldn't. I was like, no, the Pistons had the best night in the draft. I think the Rockets had the second best night. But um, the Pistons, you know, they have such an exciting young group to throw mm. out there on the floor. And, and if you buy into their starting lineup, right? I mean, it, you have Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, if they opt to, to start Duran, and if they opt to go with that Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, you know, starting front court. I know that's kind of like a, a topic of debate right now, what that's going to look like, what direction Dwayne Casey's going to go with that front court. But just, you know, those guys uh, that that just those five guys are that's an insane chunk of talent already that you have for like first and second year players, essentially. And to then be able to build even more around that when you're looking at, you know, adding more ancillary pieces, adding bench depth, all of that. I think Cade is the most poised player on either of these two teams to be to take that jump, to, to mm. take a leap. And suddenly you you are forced as an organization to reevaluate your timeline and think, OK, well, he's playing like this right now. Right. Like the we're talking like the Luka Doncic jump or like the John Morant jump, right, where they just they're playing at such an elite level where it 
propels the team and you know ex- you know accelerates the rebuild by a couple years because if you've suddenly got one of those top guys a guy who's playing like a top 20 player top 15 player overnight then yeah you have to suddenly start making moves to be competitive because you don't want to squander that um i will say this with the caveat that i don't think either of these two teams make the jump this season like i don't mm-hmm. i don't think we're going to see lightning in a bottle i don't think we're going to see cade be an mvp candidate this season or anything like that I think it's going to take them, you know, another season to figure it out with the crop of rookies that they have coming in. You know, Bancaro is going to take a season to figure it out. I think he's the rookie of the year favorite. I think he's going to look incredible. Um, I do have my reservations about him as a player. I was always of the top four prospects, Jay Nivey included, along with the three bigs. I was always lowest on Bancaro going into the pre-draft process. Mm. And then as we got closer, I was more like, you know, it was always Jabari number one, Chet number two. And then I had Jabari, I had a, uh, Jaden Ivey and Bancaro a bit more on the same tier as we approach the draft, kind of like, you know, third place, but like neck and neck, like 1A, 1B. Um, but then when you look at Detroit, again, like Jaden Ivey is going to take some, you know, NBA adjusting, even though he's going to, I think he's going to, you know, work immediately at the NBA level. He's still a rookie. He's still going to have to take time to figure out how the game works. Jalen Duran, same thing as a big, bigs tend to trouble with fat, you know, tend to have trouble with fouls when they first come in. So I think there's still a lot of learning that both these organizations have to do. But if I had to, throw money on who I think is going to break out first, it's going to be the Detroit Pistons. I love what they're doing over there, and I love the the, the group of guys that they've uh, amassed in a very short amount of time. That's interesting. Um, I don't think it can be both. Like, one of these rookie classes, like, that's the other thing, too, is, like, everyone's all in on Chet, Jabari, Paolo, Jaden. It's like, no, that's not how this works. Like, at least two of them are not going to work out. At least two. Um, and you look around and you're like, okay, I don't know. People have already like started getting cold feet about Jabari because of the summer league. And it's just like, oh, I don't know how much he's going to get the ball. I don't know how much impact he's going to have when, uh, he's not a league creator and he's just not with Jalen green and how that's going to work. Is he going to be able to find Jabari enough so that Jabari doesn't float and you forget he's on the court. Like people are already getting nervous about stuff like that, but I just, and we'll get to that in a second. I just look at it where. I could see a scenario like it's clear to me on where Bancaro is going to be as a player where I think he's going to be just an elite offensive player in this league sooner rather than later. I think Bancaro is a great passer, great size, just him playing the four and then being surrounded by just length everywhere tells me that I think there's the right kind of just usage available for him the right kind of system for him where everybody's going to be defending outside of Bancaro and I just I think it's going to work I think Bancaro is going to be one of the better players in this league and he'll be challenging for third team all NBA before anyone on uh, Detroit and look I like Kate a lot it's just different where I'm always going to be more drawn to the guy who's like, he's Paolo's going to bring the ball up. Paolo is going to initiate a lot of the offense. He's going to initiate a lot of the action early in Orlando. And he's going to have a lot on his plate early in Orlando because they need the scoring. They have not had somebody like this uh, in years. Um, also Orlando done pretty well with the number one pick in their franchise history. The, a really good track record at this point. Do you know, who doesn't Detroit. And I just, if I'm going back and forth, my gut tells me Orlando is the team that breaks through and Paolo is like, I don't know if he'll be Jason Tatum in three years, but I think we'll see those same kind of parallels where he's really, really good. And maybe they draft his Jalen Brown next year. And then that's, that's kind of where they're going, but I'm going to bet on their depth, their defense, and even just guys they had developed. Like Franz looked awesome last year. 
you looked at Jalen Suggs, yeah, there's a lot to be desired. But, I mean, Cole Anthony's become a productive player for them. Um, and we'll see what happens there. Markel Fultz, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Mo Bamba showed a lot last year. So maybe he's part of it. And then you have the ultimate wild card in Jonathan Isaac. Like, I have no idea what to expect of him after two years of no basketball. So I, I think they have a lot more to work with. And I think there's a faster path to the playoffs for Orlando than for uh, Detroit. But I could be wrong. Um We'll end on this. The Houston Rockets team you're uh, maybe a little bit familiar with, uh, Jackson. Just, just a skosh. How are you feeling right now? Do you think this is a team that should uh, we should see a pretty interesting jump in wins next year? Do you think this is a team that, uh, under Stephen Silas, takes a step forward in a multitude of ways? Do you think this is still going to be another kind of tough year um, in Houston? Where are you at with the rebuild and how close they are to, you know, dipping back into spending and adding some veterans around Jabari and Jalen and company to get this team back to where they were uh, a few years back. I think it's going to be another tough year, but in a way that is even more encouraging than even this past season was right. The Rockets were the worst team in the NBA two years in a row, Mm -hmm. but the way that they ended this last season, the note that they ended on left you so excited about the future because they finally, they had shut down some of the vets, no more Christian Wood in the roster who he's been, you know, he was kind of caught in no man's land in the aftermath of the James Harden trade, right? He was supposed to be brought in to be third banana to James Harden and John Wall. And then that did not work out. And then he was suddenly thrust into the spotlight as a number one option and Rockets fans latched onto him. They're like, yeah, 25 year old big man, 20 and 10 every night. Cool. And then we started realizing like over time, like the warts on his game, right? The, the shortcomings. And then they were the worst team and they got Jalen Green. And suddenly we shifted from, yeah, it was the Christian Wood era for like four months strong. And then suddenly it was, nope, Jalen Green's our guy. Like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. That's the future. Sorry, Christian Wood either get in line or get out of town. And it was get out of town. Mm-hmm. So I think with the Rockets, I'm not expecting a like a jump in wins. I'm not expecting them to be in contention for the play-in. I, I think they'll they'll hover somewhere in between 25 to 30 wins, if that. What I am expecting is a, is for them to finally establish an identity, and I mm. think that's what's been lacking under Steven Silas, and not without cause right the the first year under steven silas was the tran was not even you can't count that as year one of the rebuild it was the transformational year it was the year that james harden forced out nine games into the season they sort of tried to make it work with wall and oladipo and wood and so you don't count that you ball up that year throw it away then they had their first year of the actual rebuild with jalen green and alperin shingoon and the rest of the young guys that they drafted and brought in and uh yeah jay sean tate kj martin in year two that kind of thing so I think that this year, especially with the draft they just had, bringing in guys like Jabari Smith, Tari Eason, Ty Ty Washington, guys who all embody, uh, I think, a a mentality that is going to do wonders for this team, a a very much work-oriented, you know, strive for greatness, you know, 6 a.m. gym type mentality or be in the gym by 6 a.m., right? 6 a.m. guy. That's what that's what Bruce Pearl called Jabari Smith, his former coach at Auburn. He said he's a 6 a.m. guy. He's going to be in the gym before everybody else. He's going to be the last one working out. He's going to lead by example, all of that. And I think we 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 know that Jalen Green embodies some of those similar traits. We know that Josh Christopher on the Rockets body embodies those similar traits. And so I think you're starting to see them cultivate a certain type of player, a certain type of personality. And I think we're going to see that take hold this next season and have guys that are really pushing themselves to impact the game at a defensive level, not just worrying about their offensive package, not just worrying about highlights on the offensive side of the floor. 
but really making the game or, you know, making the game their own on defense. And I think that's that's why with Jabari, I understand the underwhelming. If you're just looking at his box score numbers, I understand you'd be underwhelmed by his summer league performance. And even I, you know, was expecting a little bit more offensively from him. But where my expectations were was essentially, all right, I think Jabari is going to be a good defender and I think he's going to be a knockdown shooter. You know, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to be a great ancillary piece to Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. He's not being brought in to be the guy. He's being brought in to be a great second or third piece. Um, and Summer League isn't the place for guys like that to thrive. And yet, even though the shooting efficiency was all over the place and left a lot to be desired, I think there's a large enough sample size of his career up until this point that you feel comfortable that, hey, a five-game sample size, people go through shooting stretches, you know, shooting slumps where they go for five or ten games and they can't, you know, hit anything. So maybe that's what it was, right? Maybe he tweaks his form a little bit. I'm not worried about that. What did stand out to me was how much better he was defensively than I was expecting. I was expecting him to be a good defender. I was expecting, all right, he's going to make some plays, he's going to do some things. He is, to me, a transformational-looking defender, Put him on the same tier as Chet Holmgren, a guy who is going to single-handedly elevate a defense better than it should ever be. Right? Mm. Put him in the same. Put him in the same breath as a guy like Rudy Gobert, somebody who single-handedly elevates your team to a top ten defense. Will it ever be that level? I don't know. But he is a floor-raising defensive presence, defensive anchor, whatever you want to call it. And that very much was on display throughout all of summer league. And you have to actually watch it in depth, right? You can't just go watch a highlight, you know, a highlight reel on YouTube. You have to actually have watched the game start to finish to see all the little plays where he makes the the right read defensively. He has strong help side, you know, defensive instincts. He knows when to rotate over. He come. I I sat. 15 feet away from the baseline at at one of the Rockets games in summer league. And he is constantly communicating on defense, calling things out, calling out switches, talking during dead balls and explaining to his teammates, Hey, this is how we're going to defend this. Right. You know, on the weak side with, with a player saying, Hey, when they inbounded over there, I want you to switch your man with like just all these little things. And for him to already be finding that vocal leadership role defensively, the offensive side is going to come around and he already and he that on top of that, right, even though he wasn't hitting the shots, he actually showed us some things that we weren't expecting out of him, like the ability to put the ball on the floor and create for himself a little bit, the ability to draw some fouls and get to the free throw line, the ability to make some pretty decent level reads in transition, looking for outlet passes to kick it ahead to his teammates or just making the strong swing path within the half court to get it to the right man. Those little things, again, they're not going to show up on a highlight reel. They're not going to show up in the box score, but that's why I'm not not down on Jabari after summer league. In fact, I'm actually higher than I was going into summer league, which says something because he was always at the top of my board. And for him to be gift wrapped to Houston Rockets at pick number three, I was head over heels in love. The moment it happened, I saw the Bancaro selection happen at number one. Everything was riding on OKC to take Chet at number two. As soon as the Chet Holmgren selection was announced, I knew Jabari was going to be a rocket and I knew that this kid was going to be destined for greatness. And I'm happy it's happening in Houston. There you go. I like it. I like it. Jackson, how do the good folks keep up with your work and everything you got going on with Lockdown Rockets and Lockdown NBA? Yeah, um, you can track me down on the Bird app on social media at JT Gatlin. That's where I yell about everything I do. I host the only Monday through Friday pocket, uh, Monday through Friday podcast covering the Houston Rockets. That's Locked on Rockets. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA. Mondays, I do another Rockets podcast called State of the Rockets, kind of biweekly. It's, uh, you know, a little bit up until we get back to the regular season. You know, it'll be kind of just on an as needed basis. Um, and then I'm also the founder of ClutchCityControlRoom.com for musings on all things Houston hoops. So, so that's where you can track me down at. 
There you go. Jackson, thank you so much for making the time today. I greatly appreciate it. We'll have to check back in again soon. Absolutely, Chase. Always a pleasure to be on the program. Have a good All right, y'all, that'll do it for part one here on a Friday, July 22nd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Mills Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, uh, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That is indeed how you listen to today's show. It helps other people find this show, and it helps this very show continued to grow and rise up the charts on apple Podcasts and spotify so please 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 make sure you take care of that today if you have not already done so tell a friend co-worker family member whoever about the chase Must podcast here at blue wire and why you like listening to this show where we cover everything each and every day national sports show covering it all um here on the chase Must podcast uh email me as always chase Must podcast at gmail.com would love to hear from y'all uh tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right part two coming up in just one second with stats by will on all things college basketball stick with us folks uh as we continue on this friday july 22nd edition of the program all right uncle derek how to do Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.